0: Glory.
1: Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend and say positive things about us on Twitter and Facebook. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. If you haven't yet given us a five-star review, please pause what you're doing and give us a five-star review. Follow us on Twitter at at @clergylay, and join our Facebook discussion group, which I am increasingly reminded with every passing week that it is rather difficult, so you may have to become friends with Christopher and me on Facebook. And um, that's a pretty awful thing, but there are probably worse things than that. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother Chris, a priest. Hey, Chris, how are you?
2: Kirk, I'm having a good week. I enjoyed the finale of the World Series.
1: That was yes. a lot of fun.
2: Yes, yes, yeah. The, um, were, actually, were there were uh, were the people in your home who were disappointed by the results? Were there people who are rooting hard for for the Rays?
1: Yeah, but the reason they were rooting for the Rays is because they're all filthy front runners in the first place. <laughs> so they flipped rather quickly to, um, in retrospect, observe that. The Dodgers were always, it turns out, the better team anyway. And so it's okay. So,
2: you know, it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, the, the Rays are basically genetically, like designed in a lab uh, for, for me to like them, you know, being just an underdog, just a yeah. little engine that could. And, and yet, um, and creating
1: weird margins of uh, marginal advantages that no one else had seen or thought right. of, right? They are the new money ball.
2: Right, we oh, we need absolutely.
1: Moneyball yeah. part 2 about the Rays.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh and and the Dodgers on the other hand are designed in a lab for me to hate them <laughs> and yet I don't. I, I don't, don't hate like, them
0: either,
1: yeah. Like
2: they're they're a team that uh has tried vainly for a decade to purchase a World Series <laughs> and uh you know without success, but I think part of, you know, why I, I don't hate them and and kind of have some affection and i'm really genuinely happy for them is is the person of clayton kershaw is that he is just um a, a tragic figure in that he has been a, had a phenomenal career apart from and, and what's weird is it's not that his playoff era is all that bad it's it's like four or something you know yeah. but, but but he's considered to be kind of a, a, a choker in the playoffs but but he's just so easy to like personally. I mean, he and his wife have, you know, opened orphanages in Africa and they're just uh, amazing human beings who have done a lot of good things for the world. And, uh, and he's done literally nothing, uh, to, to, unlikable. Have you looked, have you ever looked at his, uh, his
1: career stats? They're unbelievable. Whatever you think they are, it's better. better than you think. Um, uh, he's a better and yet, pitcher and than he's Justin like, Verlander. lost velocity over the years.
2: Yeah. That's what's crazy. He's like, had to reinvent himself. He has a plus slider, and that's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. And he
1: can he locate this, his like, fastball. Yeah.
2: His fastball is like 91 <laughs> miles an hour, which is nothing these days when people <laughs> right. are, you know, uh, what? Tampa Bay has maybe six pitchers that could throw 98 or something. Uh, mm-hmm. He throws 91. He's got a plus slider, and then this kind of looping curveball that he can throw for a strike.
1: Yeah, can we can we uh, can we talk for for just a moment about Saturday night? Um, I turned off the game with one out in the bottom of the ninth and no one on. So like quarter to midnight, I missed it all. I missed it all. I uh, I go to the soccer match. Okay, so Sunday morning was was all church from the moment I woke up um kind of preparing praying preparing music preparing sunday school lesson uh driving to church being at church and then immediately w- we had this whole big thing which i could tell you this other story about simon forgetting a cleat and <laughs> he thought the costco parking lot which we found out at 5 p.m later uh, that night he did not forget it in the costco parking lot he just left it at home because 10 year old boys 11 year old boys um but, but I'm anyhow, sure you had to drive to the Costco
2: parking lot to verify. That Twenty it wasn't there. minutes
1: into his soccer game in New Wilmington, Pennsylvania, my neighbor says to me, "Did you stay up for the baseball game?" I was like, oh, "Yeah." And then I turned. Out, and she's like, whoa, "Whoa, whoa! I don't think you know what happened." <laughs> and he told me the whole thing. The whole thing. Um, I, I don't know, listener. We can we can maybe. Uh, Chris, this is not an ESPN podcast. We can maybe link a, a brief video segment into the, uh, into the show notes. It was the most improbable baseball sequence of events I've seen yeah. in a decade. Yeah. Yeah. What happened was um, two different Dodgers, the center fielder and the catcher, muffed the ball, allowing uh, Rosarena, the, um, the, uh, the, the Rays uh, runner that had been on first play, first base, to overcome two base running miscues, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> falling down between third base and home, like army crawling his way home to home plate and like clutching home plate and beating on it. I, there, there are 17 different things that are awesome about that. Did you see um, then the Phillips, the, the hitter, they hit the, he hadn't had a, an at bat in 30 days. What, was that right? are you serious? No, yeah, I he hadn't had a plate appearance in 30 <laughs> days. He comes up, two strikes. Right, they're down to their last strike in the World Series. And he, he hits the doink over the shift, right, into, into right center. So the center fielder flubs the who's ball. Who's not which, Cody Bellinger. Not right. their center fielder because right. analytics and shifts and all this, right? So it's an infielder, and he misplays the ball and, like, kicks it fifty feet. Which causes left. a
2: Rosarena to, to, to <laughs> go for home, right. right? He wouldn't have done that otherwise, but he chooses but to go But he's for late, home, and, and he's he, toast. Like, Halfway between third base and home as the catcher receives the throw. But the cutoff
1: throw, Max Muncy double clutches. Did you notice that? The cutoff, Max Muncy, he like looks
2: and sees a Rosarena. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he makes eye contact with him like like the uh, the, the cheetah locking eyes with the antelope (laughs) and says, you're dead. But then double clutching it, throws it to the catcher's right, causing the catcher to lunge at it, missing it. It goes skipping off. Um, Ah, But what is it going to say? Oh, so a Rosarino scores, he's pounding on the plate and Phillips who's watching all of this. um, He starts, do you see, he starts airplaning into (laughs) listener. You can't see me. I'm airplaning right now into center field. (laughs) Then I, uh, who's Kiermeier? I don't know. Was he even involved? Where's he coming from? He starts airplaning after him. um, And then they finally catch up to Phillips and they stick a microphone in his face uh rosenthal or whoever sticks a micro- micro- ken rosenthal sticks a microphone in his face and asks him a question and he says this is the best this is so 2020 he says i can't breathe <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> says give me a moment and he just like falls over and he's on his knees it was so great it was so great we should uh, we should put a link into it this is definitely. not this is not great content though
2: so i should stop talking we should about definitely this. put a link uh yes this reminds yes. me when you talk about uh the immediate- Reaction of a player, Carlos Gomez, winning—was it a run or game-winning hit? They shove a microphone in his face. The, the guy barely speaks English. Right? Hey, do you remember this interview? I don't even remember what he said. But uh, there was a time in my life I, I would have thought that I would have never forgotten it because it was like um, it was—it it captured the joy of the moment uh, of, of just being totally inarticulate, <laughs> being like, yeah. "I saw the ball, I hit it." I ran.
1: Yes. Yeah. It was something like that. It was like a Dick and Jane book. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. There was something, something you said that reminded me of, Oh, Carlos Gomez. I, I thought you were going to tell the Carlos Gomez getting hit by a pitch story in terms of baseball antics. You remember he got hit by a pit. He got hit by a pitch once. And instead of running to first, he did nothing. He froze for maybe about half a second, then collapsed as if he had been shot. (laughs) And laid to the ground, got up, said, just kidding, his bat, and sprinted to first base,
2: <laughs> which That's all of that was just encapsulation. very Carlos, yeah, very Carlos Gomez. That, yeah, that captures who that guy is. What a, yeah. what a, what a, what a character.
1: But, but can I just briefly then, before we move on to, uh, to the gospel for Sunday, can I just briefly, since you brought it up, I, w- I should have had this story ready to go as like my, my great story for the week. Um, Our our routine on Sunday mornings to incentivize our children being ready for an early departure to church is that once they are dressed for church, their hair is combed, they've eaten breakfast and their teeth are brushed, they may play on screens, Xbox or iPads, whatever they want. Um, And uh, while it's fall soccer season, in which they have uh, Sunday afternoon soccer matches, they also have to get their soccer bags together. Um, the problem is the incentive uh, with screens being that close, they cut corners. Yeah. Um, so it became clear to me uh, we had we parted ways. We had a parting of the ways in the church parking lot. I took uh, two of my children um, on the longer road trip up to New Wilmington, an hour north out of Cranberry, to uh, Simon's soccer match, his last away game, and uh, and we uh, we had to also gas up. So fellow. Pennsylvanians, um, I introduce my children for the first time in their life to the joy of MTO at Sheets, Made to Order, Mm -hmm. where they get to tap on the screen and they're very excited. Um, However, when Simon, as I was gassing up and and he's getting out of the car, he says, oh no, I have only one cleat. And so he thinks it's in the van. Um, So Kim's still at Costco. So I race back to Costco like a crazy person after suddenly all the fun is drained out of everything. Like suddenly we're going to be, whereas before we had, we had time.
3: Now the margin,
1: the the time margin is gone. And suddenly like it's task oriented, dad. It's not fun, dad. Um, So I'm like, we got to go, come on, order, order, order your sandwich. Let's go, let's go, let's go. So we get to the Costco parking lot and Kim is not answering her phone. I have no idea where she's parked. So I sprint into Costco. I'm like, like stiff arming people doing spin moves, sprinting around using the iPhone at location app to try to find Kim I, I run up to her. I'm like, "Where is the van?" And she makes eye contact with me, and for a full second, gives me an uncomprehending stare. Because, like, out of context, I have right. I'm just I, this random dude yeah. with a with a face mask on, like, urgently um, barking a question at her. And she's like, "Oh, oh, it's over on that side." So I'm like, "Okay, I gotta go." Simon thinks he left a cleat in the van. It's not in the van. So I'm like, "Guess what, Simon? You're wearing your tennis shoes." which fortunately hadn't worn church shoe. He has this whole thing where he doesn't like to wear church shoes to church. He wears tennis shoes to church. So he, he has Nike tennis shoes. So he wore that, which was that added alone, its own entertainment value to the soccer <laughs> match because then he's, he, he slipped a couple times, like obviously like one time, sort of split style, like <laughs> one leg kind of gave out on him while the other stayed planted, but more in more entertaining fashion, he four or five times kicked like his shoe end over end, like, 15 feet in the air. Cause you know, like cleats, you can really tie your cleats on tight and like not so much tennis shoes. So in the meantime, I get a text from Kim saying, George forgot shorts. Oh my. Yeah. So I was like, what's he going to do? Playing his khakis? Well, this, this was so lucky. Um, she had got him a couple of pair of, um, what do you call those? Uh, like Adidas joggers. At, uh, at Costco. Which are a fancy name for sweatpants. Sweatpants,
2: that's right. Yeah. Well, so why are he, they called joggers now, anyway?
1: Yeah, because they taper. They taper at the, at the ankle. Okay. We're, we're old, Christopher. We're old. Yeah. All right. That's, so that's what happens if you allow your kids to play video games before church. They cut corners. Uh, hey, Kirk. <laughs> do you know why Wendy's burgers are square? Because they don't cut corners. That's exactly right. <laughs> Simon loves that fact so much on that note
2: shall we turn to the gospel let's do that This week, we remain in the book of Matthew, but we go back to chapter five. Uh, Why is that, Christopher? Because it's All Saints Day, not just All Saints Sunday, which is All Saints is, is one of the um, major feast days that, it, that you can actually move forward. Um, you know, many people will move other ones, but um, November 1st is a Sunday this year. So we're uh, reading Matthew chapter five, verses one through 12. Seeing the crowds... For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now notice, uh, I said blessed and not blessed. That was a conscious <laughs> choice. Uh, blessed is—I find myself saying that a lot. Uh, blessed is just the King James kind of English version of saying that. We don't—we don't find ourselves saying, "Boy, I am so blessed uh, to have." x y or z however the king
1: james version does not interpret that whatever greek word that is as blessed it it interprets it as happy really yeah not yeah.
2: not, not happy not are they the... who blah blah who? blah yep yeah. okay but
1: but i not to you interrupt your
2: kind of like um, when we say the, the lord's prayer it's it, the, it really isn't pronounced hallowed but we still say hallowed be thy name even though it's really hallowed hallowed I, I, I even,
1: I even go so far back. I say our father, which art in heaven. Yes, you
2: do. <laughs> Anyhow, so, blessed, blessed and blessed. Yes. So, so this is the first uh, bit of the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, probably familiar to you. Uh, it's a three chapter of chapter Matthew, chapter five, six, and seven. For our theology nerds out there, I want to open with this. There are a number of theories of atonement. It can be helpful to divide them up and become too attached to one particular theory of atonement because each of them has a biblical basis and tells one part of the story of what Jesus came to do. So likewise, no single theory of atonement is sufficient on its own. I hope this is not too controversial of an idea. So I don't want to get too into the details here and, and give a completely comprehensive overview of the various theories of atonement. If you're unfamiliar with this language, theories of atonement, uh, here's what I want you to know. Christians throughout the ages have, have come up with different ways to explain what it was that Jesus has done for us. The most familiar theory of atonement for our listeners who are, are, have a background in evangelicalism would be the, uh, the, substitution, uh, the substitutionary theory of atonement, sometimes understood more narrowly as penal sub- And we see language in scripture pointing to Jesus taking our place on the cross and bearing our sin as a substitutionary sacrifice. It's it's very clearly there in the text. However, Jesus did more than this. Uh, He also conquered sin and death in his resurrection. He was also a new Adam, the last Adam. The first Adam sinned in the garden and because of his sin, each of us are born into sin. Paul summarized this in Romans chapter five. This is verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Listen, just as sin and death came through one man, grace and life came through one man, through Jesus. Or as Tim Keller put it, Jesus is the true and better Adam. So I want to play a brief clip here for, for you from a, a sermon from Tim Keller to help you, underst- the listener, understand part of the recapitulation theory of atonement. Now, Tim Keller doesn't just ex- espouse the recapitulation theory of atonement. You'll hear substitution here in, in his explanation. There are some who go way too far into the theory of the, ex, the uh, recapitulation theory of atonement to the exclusion of other theories, and I'm referring mostly to Eastern Orthodoxy, mm. uh, where uh, they take this to its logical extreme and they uh, come up with this idea called theosis, or in English that would be deification. If you're curious about this, I, would, I wouldn't Google deification, I would Google theosis, and you can get a sense of what, what this teaching is. Tim which which teaching.
1: isn't unbiblical. It's just no, if you it's press not. it if you press it too hard, you have a problem of emphasis.
2: Yes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like the, it's taken for biblical language. This partaking of the divine nature. Right. Uh, where does that come from?
1: To Corinthians.
0: Uh, no.
2: I, I should. I should. Uh, leave. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, Tim Keller's teaching here is part of a larger teaching about the how the Bible isn't about you. I hope this is not a shock to anybody. <laughs> but the thing is, contemporary preachers feel sometimes like the old ways of preaching and teaching are dry and dead. And, and right. what we really need to do is make the Bible relevant to people.
1: Or, or how I like to put it is, wait, I have a new idea that no one's ever thought of in 2000 awesome. years. Let's make it. A, let's
2: put you in the story. So I, I just I agree with the desire to make the Bible relevant. I just think the it's a bad way of doing it is to put us in the story. Uh, the the error is is to make the listener part of the center of the story. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we put the listener in the story, but you have to find your proper place. The, the the reality is the Bible is not about us, and so to put us in the center of the story is is the wrong place for us. Yes, there is a place for us in the story, but it's not about us. This is not how Jesus teaches us to read the Bible. For instance, when we read about David and Goliath, it's not about you and I facing our giants in our lives, right? It's about David and ultimately about Jesus. Uh, Remember Jesus teaching on the Emmaus road. Uh, This was in Luke 24. He walks with two of his disciples, but they don't recognize him. And they talk about how they had hoped that Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel. And Luke tells us, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So this is how we read the Bible. We read the Bible with an eye to, like, how is this about Jesus? That's our key to understanding the Bible. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And his work on your behalf and my behalf has changed everything. So, Kirk, would you pause the the recording so I can get this queued up?
3: Mm Mm-hmm. Is David and Goliath basically about you and how you can be like David and Goliath or basically about him, the one who really took on the mate, the only giants that can really kill us, you see? And so his victory is imputed to us. Who's it really about? That's the fundamental question. And when that happens, then you start to read the Bible new, you know. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden, his garden, a much tougher garden, and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go into the, wo- into the void, not knowing whither he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all, while God said to Abraham, Now I know you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we at the foot of the cross can say to God, now we know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve so we like Jacob only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice, now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job. He's a truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a type? See, that's not typology, that's an instinct. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life. Who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish, says when I perish, I'll perish for them to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so we could be brought in. He's he's the real Passover lamb. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's not about you.
2: There (laughs) it is. The Bible is not about you. And this is a key to unlocking the entire scriptures, is the Bible is about Jesus. So I've talked for a while, and I haven't even talked about this passage from Matthew. I get it. I'm getting to it. (laughs) In fact... That Jesus goes up a mountain to teach the law is no accident. Yes. Kirk, what does a man going up the mountain to receive the law, what does that bring to mind? Uh,
1: Could that be Moses, Alex? Moses.
2: <laughs> That's right. In Exodus, God calls Moses to ascend Mount Sinai to receive the law. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke and the whole mountain trembled with the presence of God and the thunder of his voice. Jesus, the new Moses, the new and better Moses, right, is surrounded by his disciples so that they may be taught, as Israel was taught by Moses, to be holy. So a great deal has been written about the Sermon on the Mount, and, and yet many still struggle to grasp it, it probably because uh, there's a lot that's written about it that's, that kind of gets it wrong. Uh, some of our brothers and sisters on the Protestant side, they see it almost as, an unrealistic amping up of the law. Mm. This unrealistic ideal that serves only to drive us to repentance. And so I talked last week about how the law does do this, but the Sermon on the Mount is is far from unrealistic ideals that just serves only to drive us to repentance. Interpretation of verse 48 of chapter five has divided Christians. Many conservatives hear uh, hear Jesus saying, uh, when when they when they hear Jesus saying, "You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect," uh, m- many conservative Christians say, "This is a hur- the, what he's saying is, this is something such a hurdle so high that the sight of it drives us to our knees." But more liberal Christians look at the word "perfect" and argue that its lexical range allows us to better understand this word, not to mean perfect, but to mean mature. That Jesus is saying be mature as your heavenly father is mature, which doesn't make a lot of sense because God is more than just mature. Like, why would you use that comparison? Um, and it's also just an awfully low bar, right? Uh, you and I could smugly nod and look at each other and, and, and just be smug about how mature we are while all the while being uh, blind to our shortcomings. And that's yeah. not what the biblical witness. And, and it's also has God,
1: God is guru. As opposed to mm, yeah. God as the source of all being, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: God as perfection itself, as law itself,
2: yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I I don't mean to to get too far afield. I, I hope I haven't lost you. Um. So I'll say this: we can't understand the Sermon on the Mount apart from its context and apart from the one who preached it. So apart from its context in the Book of Matthew, as as you know, Jesus. Uh, again, as as sort of the recapitulation, where Israel failed, Jesus is the new and, and better uh, version. Uh, uh, Israel was in the wilderness for forty years. Jesus went to, in, to the desert and was tempted for forty days. Uh, you know, Moses went out, went to a mountain and and the law was taught. Jesus goes to a mountain. Like we we see this again and again um, in context. And I, I want to quote Stanley Hauerwas here. He has a, a very good uh, paragraph here. He says. This sermon is not a list of requirements, but a description of the life of a people gathered by and around Jesus. Yes. To be saved is to be so gathered. Sorry, to be saved is to be so gathered. That is why the Beatitudes are the interpretive key to the whole sermon, precisely because they are not recommendations. No one is asked to go out and try to be poor in spirit or to mourn, or to be meek. Rather, Jesus is indicating that given the reality of the kingdom, we should not be surprised to find among us those who follow him who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, end quote. So so these verses, uh, which have come to be known as the Beatitudes, blessed are, um, these are not suggestions. They're not recommendations. They're statements of fact. Yes. They're a description of the kingdom of God, which Jesus brought with him. And so this is another misunderstanding that we have. Many people look forward to the consummation of the kingdom while forgetting that Jesus brought a kingdom. And and he's talking about the kingdom that he brought with him. So yes, we await the consummation of the kingdom when every tear will be wiped away. But the kingdom already is here. And here is a brief description of the kingdom. In the kingdom, the poor in spirit are blessed. In the kingdom, those who mourn are blessed because they will be comforted and so on. This isn't telling us to do something here. It's a statement of fact. Isn't it interesting how the good news of Jesus Christ is instantly attractive to the poor? Isn't that interesting? And how the privileged are indifferent to it most often. And this is interesting particularly in America, which is a society obsessed with privilege and a society who sees Christianity as associated with wealth and privilege. Whether we're talking about America or the world, it is overwhelmingly the poor who understand the gospel better than the rich. Is it because they hope to get rich? No. Because the good news of the kingdom has nothing to do with wealth. God comes to the poor and is good news to them right now. And I understand that this says poor in spirit, but Jesus preached the sermon probably many times. When Luke has the sermon, it's not on a mountain. uh, It's on a plane. And when Jesus gives us the sermon in Luke, he doesn't say blessed are the poor. He says, I'm sorry, he doesn't say blessed are the poor in spirit. He says blessed are the poor. I mean, what a shocking statement to say blessed are the poor. Right. Um, God comes to the poor and is good news to them right now because the real treasure of Christianity isn't treasure. It's Jesus. Amen. And I, I want to leave lots of room because I know you have lots of good things to say. So, (laughs) well, I think
1: you said, um, and you said better than I could, um, much of what, uh, what I would have said. Um, I, I, I agree with, uh, your, um, Oh, uh, your, your quote of Hauerwas, how did he put it? Um, I mean, this is a theme of uh, that is
2: not a uh, list of requirements, but a description.
1: Yeah. A description. That's right. A description of the values of the kingdom of God. Um, you and I have talked, um, this year on this podcast about, um, how Jesus, his moral economy is an inversion of the world's mm-hmm. values. Mm-hmm. Um, and we say oftentimes the way up is down. um, I came not to serve, uh, not to be served, but to serve. Um, and this is uh, Matthew's version of that. That was in John, um, at uh, at the Last Supper before he washes feet. Um, you must let uh, you must must let me wash you. This is kind of Matthew's encapsulation of that vision. Um, and uh, I, I I like how you say it's not a list of requirements. It's just a statement of fact. Uh, your Christian faith, your confession of Christ crucified, marks you in this world. And our allegiance to Christ places a different set of demands and expectations on us, and it will put us on the road to sorrow. Your your Christian faith, your confession of Christ crucified, marks you in this world. Our allegiance to Christ places a different set of demands and expectations upon us and will put us on the road to sorrow. Um, but as uh, Jesus assured us in this reading, um, sorrow for his sake is actually uh, blessedness. Um, and this is, uh, this is turning that worldly wisdom upside down, right? Um, poking common sense in the eye, right? How is being poor or poor in spirit? How is mourning blessed? Uh, how is being meek blessed? How is being hungry blessed? <laughs> um, and, and yet this is the moral inversion, right? Um, Jesus is, uh, Jesus is, uh, is, is a God, who has come alongside us to mourn with us. And, and, and in doing so, because he is God, by, just by doing so is saying that it's all worthwhile. The whole miserable human condition is worthwhile. There's something dignified about all of that. Please notice that with each of these sayings, Jesus does two things. Uh, first, he's honest about the difficulties and heartbreak in life, particularly the difficulties and heartbreak of a life following him, right, of a Christian life. But second, he, pro- he provides a promise of comfort and not comfort that the world can give. And Christopher, does that sound like uh, one of the colleagues for Evening Prayer? Mm-hmm. Um, that peace which the world cannot give? Yeah, but ultimate comfort. Yours is the kingdom of heaven, he promises. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, Blessed are those who mourn. I don't want to mourn, Christopher. (laughs) I like nice things. I like steak and luxury vacations. But the Christian path is ultimately, in the long run, a path of delayed gratification. There is another life that we must seek. And a Christian must see to it that he is a sufferer and a sorrow bearer in this life. And we should at least appreciate Jesus and his honesty on this matter, right? He doesn't promise us something that's, he doesn't promise us a happy ending when ultimately all our lives will end in death, right? For as Jesus explains elsewhere in the gospels, the way of the cross will bring you suffering, right? So blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. We can at least appreciate Jesus for his honesty here as well. And blessed are are you when others revile you and persecute you falsely in my account? Rejoice and be glad for your reward is in heaven. Your reward is in heaven, he says. Here's the matter of delayed gratification. Um, again, that we will keenly feel if we follow Christ. Um, it, to be perfectly honest, what he's saying is the benefits of Christianity are not fully evident in this life. We just have to be honest, Christopher. I think this is a hard thing, right? This is a hard saying. hmm um, and this is why this is a fitting gospel, I think, for all saints, um, because of of the great body of believers, um, the church triumphant—that is, those whose victory is won—vastly exceeds the church militant, that is, those of us who are still fighting the fight on this side of the grave, right? Um, so there's an unspoken divide between these two worlds: the world depicted in St. Matthew's gospel. Um, and that that and that divide is our death. Uh, death is a great pivot point in the Christian's journey, and this is kind of something that we're honest about, right? When we celebrate All Saints, um, we celebrate those whose victory is won, um, mm-hmm. those whose rest is won. In that great hymn, right for All the Saints. Yeah. So, these are some things that I that I appreciate um, about the Beatitudes, um, and it's actually become sort of a go to um, passage for me when I'm feeling down. Mm. Um, it's a reminder that, um, that Christ suffered with me, um, in all things. Um, so those are just some of my thoughts.
2: Yeah. It reminds me of, of a Psalm, which I'm trying to summon, which number <laughs> it is. Uh, but it talks about how, how the Lord makes the, the, the barren, he makes them into mothers. Yes. And, uh, but that is not always in uh in a real sense like god's um some women, women remain their their actual womb remains barren but in the kingdom in the church um there is this familial co- connection where we have these spiritual children and these spiritual fathers and mothers uh and and it is as much talking about that as when god miraculously um gives a child to a mother who otherwise couldn't carry a child. Mm. God does that, but not every mother, not every barren woman, becomes a mother. And and uh, some of that uh, is realized in the church. In the church, which is you know, you and I have this high view of of the church, while acknowledging that we are riffraff that God has called together. But uh, the, part of the high view is realizing kind of what we are. That it's not just this voluntary association, like we're part of the Lions Club and um you know the school board not school board but maybe um PTA um it's not that you know the church is far more and and uh i hope you're googling uh, what psalm that is
1: i am sorry i'm not <laughs> i was i was <laughs> I relying on your
2: vast uh wisdom of the Psalter so <laughs> it it's psalm 113 which i love um and uh, this is from well, you know what? I'm just going to take the time to pull it up in, in the Psalter uh, instead of uh, – usually we use the, the English standard version, um, but when we look to the Psalms as Anglicans, uh, we use in our 2019 prayer book something called the, cover, the New Coverdale Psalter, yes. which is um, updated language to uh, – it, it's just it, – it, it treats the Psalms like poetry in a way that uh, a translation doesn't. Um, where the ESV is a great translation, but for the psalms sometimes it's a little bit impoverished as it um, is seeking to convey the meaning apart from the poetry. So here's Psalm One Thirteen. Wait, it's not One Thirteen. How did I get to One Thirteen? Wow, this is becoming a disaster of a, of a segment. <laughs> no, it is. It, I'm sorry. It is. It's it's just. Uh, further down um it's not starting with verse one it's starting with with verse five all right who is like the lord our god are you there Uh, who is like the lord our god who has his dwelling so high and yet humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and earth he takes up the lowly out of the dust and lifts the poor out of the ashes that he may set them with the princes even with the princes of his people he gives the barren woman a home to dwell in, and makes her to be a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord! And mm-hmm. so, this joy—he uh, makes her to be a joyful mother of children. That—that that is even less literal than what I said. Is a barren a mother? He makes. Um, I was re- referring to um, uh, the lyrics of a song that's based on Psalm One Thirteen, and and this gives even more um, area to to say that I. Uh, In Christ, in the church, Um, we're given many spiritual children. Um, And and that's a really beautiful thing that God does.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Shall we move on to our theology segment? Let's do so. So for our theology segment today, we'd like to talk about so All a- Saints Day. Um, November first is uh, one of the principal feasts of the calendar year in uh, in the church. Um, with just uh, a month left to go before the new the new year begins mm-hmm. in Advent, um, and my home parish is All Saints, Cranberry Township, and so this is our uh, patronal festival. And so this has been a special day in the life of our parish and in the life of our family. Um, Christopher,
2: where does All Saints come from? Well, it is thought that All Saints came from Ireland, actually, and spread from there into England and then into the continent of Europe. Uh, is this what your information says as well? I hope so. <laughs> um, that that it, it, it reached Rome eventually. Uh, and in the ninth century, uh, we see the Pope pope gregory the fourth uh attesting to the reality of of celebrating all saints as a thing and uh urged that this festival be celebrated all throughout the empire and uh what, what it comes from is a desire for us to remember those who came before us and uh you know on the protestant side we uh you know we believe in the the priesthood of all believers, and we have kind of this flat kind of egalitarian sense of, uh, and 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 a little bit of nervousness about the way that uh, Roman Catholics talk about saints, as far as um, maybe there's a little bit of stretching as far as uh, the criteria. Well, they have to have so many miracles, and it's like, well, do these saints actually have the miracles? Um, but let so it's yes, it's true that every person. So the Bible, when when Paul would write an epistle, he would say to the saints at this church. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because all Christians are saints, and yet, and yet, this um, this particular feast day isn't about every saint that came before us. Um, that uh, a second festival was was added, All Souls, um, to, for that. This is 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 about particularly, um, thinking of those especially, um, saintly, memorable, pious people who are are. what's the word I'm looking for who, who are sort of paragons of virtue or people that we kind of look to for guidance and can inspire us. I mean, there holy are exemplars, there are, holy exemplars. That's a great way. It. <laughs> and, and the interesting thing is, is, you know, that, that you and I have been mentored by dead people. Right? But right. in 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 reading the Saints um, right we have in fact uh, been mentored by them and, and that's a, a powerful thing that we uh, celebrate on on this day and so kind of an interesting thing which I think we're gonna get to in a little bit is how this actually used to be uh, a feast in the spring that was moved to uh, to the fall to November first, uh, kind of um, as as in the best form, you know. We we in the West see cultural appropriation as a bad thing. The church used to use it very strategically, right? Right, right. <laughs> that they would appropriate. Um, you know, Jesus was probably not born at the end of December; it was probably in the spring. Like, you know, but 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 um, but it, the we we celebrate Christmas on December twenty fifth um, with because of its proximity to to the solstice. Uh, we 've appropriated pagan holy days for the sake of jesus, and that's that 's not a bad thing that you know it 's interesting how uh, kind of people interested in esoterica or or kind of these secret gnostic things like to talk about sketchy ways that the church is has become uh, what 's the word uh, uh, um, kind of syncretistic um, right kind of somewhat pagan um, but that 's not the case here like when 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 the church mixes uh, or appropriates these things, they become totally holy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I mentioned before that I appreciate, um, I love, I've come to love all saints because our parish is, is all saints.
2: Um, uh, for most Americans. A story you'd this, like to share about how, about how that church, how your church got its name uh it shows all saints or is that? something i i think
1: um i think i think that was sort of uh charismatically kind of came to our bishop um okay i, I would say this uh, for most american christians this feast day is an afterthought if they even know about it at all mm-hmm. um you may right. be surprised to know that uh, for about a thousand years it actually played second fiddle only to easter right right this is bigger and, than uh, christmas yeah <laughs> and there's a certain logic to having easter and all saints as the two great holy days of the church right? Because at Easter, we mark and celebrate the fulfillment and completion of Christ's life and work. And at All Saints Day, we mark and celebrate the completion of the Christian's life and work. Mm. Um, And if you went to a church, uh, if you go to a church on All Saints, odds are that you read Mm. a reading from the book of Revelation, depending Mm. upon the year, Um, and this is always Christopher, what I think of when I think of all saints, Mm, either that or Hebrews, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Um, sometimes Isaiah is read from the old Testament, but for me of all, of all the, um, the books that are evocative, that, that, um, kind of stir my soul, stir my breast with, um, with a full comprehension of those who have come before it is revelation. And it, because it paints a vivid picture of the coming of the kingdom of God and, um, I think it's because that uh, John, who wrote this, um, the youngest disciple whom Jesus loved so well, he survives much persecution and suffering for the sake of Christ. And as an old man, as a punishment from the Roman Empire for continuing to preach Christ crucified, he's banished to Patmos, to the desert island in the Mediterranean. Um, But I I love that God's not done with him yet. Christ appears to him. and, uh, And John writes this. I looked and behold. Is this Revelation a, 7? Is this Revelation 7? Yeah, verse yeah. 30, wow. verse 9? I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. Jesus said, Come up here and I will show you what must, must take place after this. And I love this. This seems fairly science fiction y. Um, but, but the metaphor that I use is Christ pulls back a curtain of this present world and reveals to John mm. what's actually happening in heaven now and what will happen mm-hmm. at the end of days. <laughs> and John rec- sees and records for us, and it's a great comfort to all of us who trust in Christ. He sees a multitude which no man can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I love that, John, it's curious about everyone wearing white robes. Hmm. And he is told that they are the saints who have gone through the great tribulation and who have washed their robes white in the blood of the lamb.
0: Hmm.
1: And uh, here's the thing about that word tribulation. Bishop Duncan taught me this, Christopher. Tribulum in Latin is the threshing board where grain is ground down into flour. Hmm. Christopher, you and I are being ground down. But on most Sundays, we meet to wash our robes white in the blood of the Lamb, gladly and lovingly poured out for us by a Savior on a humiliating cross. Um, And uh, he gives his body and blood to us for the forgiveness of sins, freely at the Lord's table every time we celebrate Holy Communion. Um, And it unites us with him and with that company of believers whose rest is already won. Um, and that's the bond between us, we the living, and the saints who have died. And so when we say saints in all saints, we simply mean all believers who confessed Christ as their only hope and who have died and who have gone on before us. And um, so we commune with them and with our Lord. And, um, and this is what I find um, lovely and, um, and moving about All Saints. And that's, that's that. Um, I did do, uh, I did, I did ask you, would you think we have time for uh for a brief uh, saunter through for all the saints?
2: Sure. Before we do, um, so you, you, you kind of <laughs> sussed out the definition of the word tribulation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think some of us are hesitant to, to read revelation because it seems confusing and, and esoteric maybe. And, uh, and, and it's been, misinterpreted by so many uh as far as you know searching for these you know obscure signs in our times and how to predict um things that um that they're you know well we're going to see these these signs this is the the beast and this and the social security numbers the mark of the beast right right um and and you know the tribulation will start you know here and and you're pointing out that you know the great tribulation, um, <laughs> th- that, that is a reference to, to life. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. That it's not some like millennium of, of, uh, of, you know, of suffering of, of the church or whatever. And, and, um, and to, I would just encourage you to read revelation and, um, uh, you know, we talked about in the past about the, uh, perspicuity of scripture, but the clarity mm-hmm. of it, um, that rather than being intimidated by it or, or reading, um, on biblical things into it um, uh, from say left behind books or something, uh, but to, but to just read it and you'll you'll see is is uh, are things like this this glimpse of this glorious um, uh, I mean what a beautiful image of of this multitude um, yeah dressed Which in white no from every nation number. all tribes and peoples and languages um, what a beautiful vision of what is to come yeah. yeah yes let's take a look at for all the saints Kirk.
1: Yes. So great un, unusually in, uh, uh, I don't know how unusual, I shouldn't say that we sing every all saints day. We sing all eight verses mm. um, of the great Ray Williams setting and uh, the, uh, the inner verses verses five and six um, oftentimes where it can be done, where the, where a choir can lead it. Um, the organ or piano drops out entirely um, as kind of an acknowledgement of um, their trajectory of the saints. Um, we are born into this world, and we have joy. We have Christ and the Holy Spirit who sustains us, and God the Father who provides us. Um, and yet, our, our our we we do have. Um, we must make our peace with the fact that in this mortal body we we die and we return to the earth from which we sprang, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And I love the uh, the honesty of this song. That in verses five and six, the accompaniment often drops out. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll point that out when we get here. And, uh, and yet we are not like those who do not have a hope, <laughs> as mm-hmm. St. Paul writes, right? right. We yeah. will be reunited with the saints who have gone before. So um, the first verse is very famous. If you grew up in um, kind of any, any kind of historic church, you probably have this, this um, verse uh, rattling around in your brain. For all the saints who from their labors rest, who thee by faith before the world confessed, Thy name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. Alleluia. Mm. Um, and you uh you may be familiar with uh with some of the other verses, thou wast their rock, O may they soldiers, faithful, true, and bold, O blessed communion, fellowship divine. Um, but I wanna I wanna skip to um, I want to read the last four verses here because I didn't grow up with these, Christopher. So I'm guessing you don't remember these either. <laughs> you and I sharing a childhood. Um, And yet they, to me, um, would never fail to move me to tears. Um, Verse five, and when the strife is fierce, the warfare long, steals on the ear, the distant triumph song, and hearts are brave again, and arms are strong. Alleluia, alleluia. Right. And when the strife is fierce, the war for long steals on the ear the distant triumph song. What is that distance triumph song? What would the faithful warrior, the Christian warrior, the one who is striving in this life, um, hear, Christopher, that would um that would reinvigorate the soul? Well, we read um um St. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Behold, I tell you a great mystery. The trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, right? Um, so whether that's metaphorical or some heavenly sound, some heavenly trumpet blast, right? Well, anyhow, verse six. The golden evening brightens in the West. Soon, soon to faithful warriors cometh rest. Sweet is the calm of paradise, the blessed. Alleluia, alleluia. Um, the idea that, um, that rest is welcome to uh, Christians who have fought the good fight, who have run the race, as St. Paul says, um, who have won their crown, um, that rest is, is welcome. That, I appreciate that honesty as well. Verse seven. Okay, so those verses are often done quietly without accompaniment or with low accompaniment. And then we have that downbeat, Christopher. You know the downbeat, right? Yeah. Boom, but low there breaks, but low there breaks a yet more glorious day. The saints triumphant rise in bright array. The king of glory passes on his way. Alleluia, alleluia. Again, as St. Paul says, I tell you a great mystery. The trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, right? Um, The saints triumphant rise in brighter way. The last verse, from earth's wide bounds, from ocean's farthest coast, through gates of pearl, streams in the countless, countless host, singing to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Alleluia, alleluia. And in that last verse, we're all singing our guts out. I'm playing, I'm banging away as loud as I can. There've been times where I've had to trumpet playing a descant, or I've had choristers singing a descant. Um, but again, that's that image from Revelation. Um, mm-hmm. uh, a, a, um, people which no man could number, St. John writes. A multitude, a multitude which no man could number, he sees. Singing to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. A stirring image that, um, that there await for us, those who have won the reward. And um, you can't count them. You can't count them. I love that hymn, Christopher. Do you have any final thoughts um, Fantastic. to bring us home for and all it, saints? And it uses
2: the King James. I love it, Kirk, and he uses the King James Holy Ghost instead of Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I have a couple of thoughts. Um, one uh, is, for some reason, as you were talking about uh, verse five and six, and uh, how you musically illustrate mm-hmm. um, kind of the the dynamics of, of dropping down, uh, instrumentally, but also yes. going to like a mezzo piano. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, uh, again, musically, uh, a very quick, not even a crescendo, but like you come in for Forte. Right. Um, yes. Verse seven <laughs> uh, there uh-huh. breaks a more, more glorious day. Uh, that's a really neat thing in music. Um, the contemporary song that I think does that well is in Christ alone. Yes. Where um, yep. you have the death and the resurrection where you can, um, uh, you can emphasize that a little bit there. Um, but I, I remember a piece that I'm not very familiar with. You had me listen to and, and you were just like, this is so great. How he does this <laughs> is Haydn's creation. Yes. Um, where um, in the beginning, um, uh, would you uh, spend a minute describing uh, in in the beginning, uh, and then you know, let there be light. Would you? Would
1: you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, as we read in Genesis one one. In the beginning in the beginning, always for there was a formless void and darkness hovered over the face of the deep, or the spirit hovered over the face of the deep, depending upon your translation. Um, and God said, "Let there be light." And all that happens pianissimo, very quiet. The, 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 um, the, uh, the soloist, the, the narrator is singing, let there be light. And um, and suddenly uh, the chorus bursts out and there was light and the orchestra explodes. And I just picture galaxies <laughs> being spoken mm. into being, mm. rippling out. I mean, that, the, Haydn depicts what the Big Bang, what, what creation must have sounded like. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. That is reminiscent. Um,
2: very, very effective musically. Yeah. yeah. The other thing, um, as far as uh, these this countless saints, um, mm-hmm. both in Revelation and verse 8, um, the countless host that we see in verse 8. Uh, let's remember, again, as we learn to read the scriptures well, uh, the promise to Abraham. And let's remember yes. that God is a God who keeps his promises. And we read the Bible kind of with an eye to covenants, that God made, came to Abraham and made a covenant. Um, and this covenant is ultimately about Jesus, that through you, Abraham, through your people, all nations will be blessed. Well, that Jesus was to, be, become, um, to, to come from the line of Abraham. And again, if we can go all the way back to Genesis 3 in the fall, that even during the fall, um, the seed of the woman, um, would uh, and of course, the Hebrew is kind of not vague, but like it 's interpreted different ways uh It used to be crush the heel or crush the head, where now it 's like uh, crush the heel of the serpent um, either way it 's the seed of the woman who 's going to crush the serpent amen and um and so we see that promise and 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 god God promised Abraham that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars or from the sands and the beach and this and this is uh this is the fulfillment of that promise
1: yes. Yeah. It's a very hopeful holiday for me. Um, it's just funny. The trees lose all the leaves. We're losing light, losing light, losing light. Um, and yet in the, in the growing darkness, um, the darkness did not overcome but mm. the light, the light shone forth. Um, and yet there breaks a yet more glorious day. Christopher, I know we, we, are... had, we had ambitions of talking of Halloween, but with our technical difficulties, which hopefully my editing will erase <laughs> from the listener's um, perceptive ear. Um, I, uh, I say uh, let's wrap up in prayer.
2: That sounds wise. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have knit together your elect in one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your son give us grace so to follow your blessed saints in all virtuous and godly living that we may come to those ineffable joys that you have prepared for those who truly love you through jesus christ our lord who with you and the holy spirit lives and reigns one god in glory everlasting amen amen o oh god the source of all holy desires all good counsels and all just works give to your servants that peace which the world cannot give that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments and that we being defended from the fear of our enemies may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of jesus christ our savior amen amen lighten our darkness we beseech you O lord and by your great mercy defend us from all perils and dangers of this night for the love of your only son our savior jesus christ amen amen the grace of our lord jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with us all evermore amen amen Kirk it's a shame that that uh it sounded like i was stumbling through those prayers even though that was just a technical glitch and it's a shame that you weren't able to cover that up in your editing (laughs) it um It'll all work out in the eschaton.
1: Next week, Christopher.
2: Next week.